when we say we don't have a second chance, there's a really big variable in that and, and a big gray area. There's always the chance to evolve and grow. It's whether we're able to hear it and to embrace that and to get the message that's embedded in the experience. We generally are quite resistant to change. There's a beautiful quote, which was from my meditation teacher, suffering is proportional to our resistance to change and happiness is proportional to our ability to embrace change. Welcome to the Self Love Podcast, the show that helps crack open your heart and inspire a deeper regard for your own well-being and happiness. Proudly brought to you by 28 Essentials, here's your host, the gorgeous Kim Morrison. Welcome to the Self Love Podcast. What a treat. What an absolute delight this week's guest is. And I'm so excited to share with you the incredible Tom Cronin. Now, this incredible soul spent 26 years in the finance markets as one of Australia's leading bond and swap brokers. He discovered meditation in the early stages of his career when the anxiety and chaos he was experiencing hit crisis point. And it can completely transformed his world, both personally and professionally. The founder of The Stillness Project, a global movement to inspire 1 billion people to sit in stillness daily, Tom is passionate about reducing stress and chaos in people's lives. His ongoing work in transformational leadership, coaching and corporate training has seen him working with some of the top companies in the world like Amazon, Qantas, UBS, and Coca-Cola. He has spoken on stage at conferences and events like Ad News Summit, AFEST, AFEST, Wonderlust, and Mind Heart Connect. Tom has six books published, a meditation app, and produced the hit film, The Portal. In a world full of chaos, what feels like chaos right now, I know you're going to really love and appreciate today's conversation. It feels beautifully calm and honoring of the innate ability for all of us to come back to a place of stillness, trust, and true self-love. So buckle yourselves in. You are in for an absolute treat. And I'm delighted to share with you this incredible soul. Make sure you give us your feedback. A five-star rating is so appreciated as it helps more and more people find a beautiful podcast like this and also allows us to continually show up and give to you amazing guests like Tom. Please share your comments and feedback on Kim Morrison 28 on my Instagram page or my Facebook page, Kim Morrison Training, or you can go to thewellnesscouch.com forward slash self-love podcast. I'd also really encourage you, if you do not know Tom already, to follow all of his stuff, all of his amazing coaching and transformational programs. And you'll see in the notes, there is an incredible gift from this amazing human. I hope you enjoy today's show as much as I enjoyed interviewing him. Cannot wait to hear your feedback. Take care, be kind. And I look forward to seeing you again here on the Self Love Podcast. As you can hear, I am incredibly honored and very humbled to interview the amazing Tom Cronin, also known as the King of Calm. It is a delight to welcome you to the Self Love Podcast, you gorgeous soul. That's great to be here. When I got the invitation, I was jumping at the chance, so I was uh, very delighted to hear from you. 
Uh, well, you know, you have been someone who's been around a while. You're someone who inspires many, many souls. And you really do have this element of calm about you. Has this been natural for you all of your life? Is it something you've led yourself into? Or are you actually someone who's gone through a lot of things and has created this for himself? Could you give us a background as to your story? There's definitely a fair bit of work gone into getting to calmness. It's definitely not my my natural state. Look, I think some people come into this world, if, you, if we look at the Ayurvedic principles, which is an ancient science of life and the body, um, there's certain body types that have a propensity to be slower and heavier and calmer as a result. Um, and I'm definitely not one of those body types. They're, they're the more generally heavy set type, type body types and they're called kapha. I'm vata. So vata are very easily stimulated and quite hyper and quite overstimulated to some degree. Uh, we talk quickly, we think quickly and everything's really quick. And so for me, particularly when I was working as a broker in finance, uh, you know, if anyone's seen the film Wolf of Wall Street, they'll have a very clear picture of what my life was like. You know, I started in 87 and it was the wild, wild west. And so not only was the job itself highly stimulating, but the culture in the job, which was lots of drugs and drinking and late nights and partying. So you've got these compounding layers of hyperstimulation that eventually led me to becoming a complete nervous wreck. Um, I was experiencing anxiety and panic attacks, insomnia. I just couldn't sleep for the life of me. And this culminated eventually into a deep, dark depression and eventually a nervous breakdown. So, no, definitely uh, I wasn't always a calm person, but, you know, that was a, a critical turning point what we call in engineering terms, a bifurcation point where it was a breakdown or breakthrough moment for me. And uh, it really was a phenomenal shift where I discovered meditation and Eastern philosophy and really dove deep into the nature of the mind, the nervous system and the body and started to explore what does it take to have optimal health and realizing for me that that meant mental and physical health and so much of that had to go through the mind. And, and that's where I started my journey into meditation and mindfulness. I want to go back on a little something you said there, the breakdown or breakthrough. So many people, sadly, don't know how to break through a breakdown or see a breakdown as the end of the road or perhaps no way out. What do you think happens to someone like you who got to breakdown point what, what's that What's that part of you that flicks you into, i got to change here? What is it that we can all hear in your journey that would help us step up or elevate ourselves out of that place? Because that's the hardest thing to do, isn't it? Yeah. Look, with my knowledge that I have these days, um, anyone that's going through a, a breakdown or let's just call it a crisis moment, um, one thing I understand now is that nothing is not supporting you. Everything that you're going through is a supportive process, is a deep evolutionary process where we can ask the question, how is this guiding me? How is this helping me? How is this helping me progress forward? And what do I need to do to adapt and change and make my life better? Now, that's with my knowledge today. Let's rewind the clock back to when I was 26 years old and having a major crisis in my life. Um, what I, by nature, I'm a Mr. Fixer. You know, I just, I, I, I'm good at fixing problems and, and have been all my life. And so for me, I didn't know there was a problem until I got to breakdown moment. You know, I was d doing lots of drugs and drinking and partying and lots of addictions. And 
I could manage all of that with the anxiety, with the stress, with the panic attacks, with the depression. So I was capable, but it, the universe just said, well, he's just not getting it. And so the universe made it worse and worse and worse until the point where I had to realize there was a problem. I had to realize there was a problem and the universe had to make it bad enough for me. It's not that, um, it did things just had to get worse and they got worse. It's just that, uh, I needed things to get worse because the universe, which was making things worse for me was trying to guide me forward. It was trying to make me realize what I'm here to do, what my full potential is. And I was just ignoring it and ignoring it and ignoring it. And I was in a state of, um, you know, sensory pleasures and ego delights. And so eventually the universe, which is this beautiful guiding maternal caring force of intelligence that is always trying to support us and help us, but um, it just had to get worse for me. And so I didn't realize there's a problem. When I realized there was a problem, that's when I started to look for solutions. And so pain is actually a, uh, an intelligent system to help us move forward and progress. It's an interesting dichotomy that we find ourselves in, the extreme, and sometimes we have to go to the extreme to order in order to understand the balance. What is it for you then, knowing that you went to that space, that place, and still wasn't getting it, but finally saw the epiphany that something had to change? Some people don't always get that opportunity. Do you think, therefore, life is a natural process. It's as it is as it's meant to be. The universe has a plan because not everybody gets that second chance, do they? That's such a big conversation we're having now. We've gone straight into it, haven't we? Um, this is purely subjective, but when we say we don't have a second chance, there's a really big variable in that and, and a big gray area. There's always the chance to evolve and grow. It's whether we're able to hear it and to embrace that and to get the message that's embedded in the experience. We generally are quite resistant to change. There's a beautiful quote, which was from my meditation teacher. Suffering is proportional to our resistance to change and happiness is proportional to our ability to embrace change. And so it was my inadaptability, my lack of adaptability, my resistance to change and the persistence of doing the same thing over and over again um, was what was actually causing my suffering. Um, the chance came only because it got bad enough and then I started to make a shift. That, that chance is there for all of us and there's a beautiful uh, sort of, it's not really a saying, but an idea that um, a rishi, which is a wise one, one that can see, one that is intuitive and awake, They've had the veil pulled back and they can see through the lens of uh, life without the conditioning and coding of their ego. Um, they, they only take a hint in life. They don't need cataclysmic events to guide them. They just get this tiny intuitive hint about tacking and deviating. And so the, the analogy I like to use is, uh, is a really, my dad was a very experienced sailor and he'd take me out on the water and he taught me how to see the squalls, that's the, the, wind, um, the wind squalls, um, the burst of wind on the horizon by detecting the ripple on the water and how it can change before it gets to you. 
and he'll 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 let you sort of understand the timing of the squall as it's coming closer and closer and closer and closer so that you're ready to tack when you need to tack not before and not after but at the right time and it's that intuitive preemptive capacity to see that makes life become more fluid and it's our resistance or inability to be able to see when we need to adapt and change because life is a constant meandering process and it's our um, resistance to the meander that causes the suffering and it's this is what is the what inspired me and we'll get to it later on maybe but the the film i made the portal was inspired because i could see humanity on a trajectory that requires immense tacking an immense deviation from the current trajectory we're on this consumption-based egoic narcissistic culture that our globe is living by is putting us on a trajectory towards immense suffering if not we're already in the in the early stages of that um and so we do need to deviate and tack and this is what life is individually collectively as a company as a relationship and it's our resistance to that and our inability to do that is the the demise of our existence and and the cause of so much of our suffering the word suffering in itself is something that's quite an interesting conversation. When I had the privilege of being in India and spending some time with His Holiness, the 12th Kenting, Thay Satupa, who I got to have some one-on-one sessions with, which was quite incredible. But one of the questions I asked him uh, when I had that opportunity was, why do humans have to suffer? And he chuckled and said, very human question. Hmm. And I'm just interested in your understanding of the word suffering. Is it your belief that we have to suffer in order to waken? Um, We don't seem to hear things or we get these little taps, if you like. Then sometimes we get wax and then all of a sudden we can have what I've termed as a, a Mac, a Mac truck can hit you. Do we have to suffer in order to wake up or do you think those small cataclysms cataclysmic, oh, I can't remember the word. Cataclysmic. Cataclysmic, I love that word. Is that a possibility that we can have small shifts like that or is it a big thing that has to happen? It's a great question. In our current, we've got to realise that we're in a, a, a vast epoch of time that is an evolutionary sequence of realising greater capacity, greater awareness, greater truth and being free of the ignorance and the suffering is a byproduct of ignorance. And so as we, as a species move along that sequential timeline into greater degrees of awakening, which is happening on mass now, it's quite phenomenal. We'll see in future generations, uh, people looking back and go, remember you guys used to have to do all that yoga and meditation and therapy and all those other things that you had to do to try to relieve yourself of the immense suffering that you were going through. You know, we will eventually move into a time of greater awareness, greater harmony, greater unity, greater consciousness. We're already in that process of that happening. Um, it's just that we're not quite there yet. And so already what we're seeing, and you may well have seen this yourself, Kim, um, some of the children coming through, you know, they go through their, uh, you know, they're, they're going through their transformation much quicker, much earlier. And I've seen that in my own kids. I've got two 19-year-olds. And they're pulling me up all the time. This, you know, it's just like, you know, wow, I've been meditating for 26 years and teaching and coaching. These guys just kind of, they get it so much more quickly. And so we only have a few more generations of that. And um, this idea of immense suffering is really just uh, uh, is something I believe anyway that 
will be phased out as we have greater consciousness, greater awareness and greater adaptability. There's an interesting thought around that, though, isn't there, that your kids have got it. Do you think that they're blessed to have had the guidance of you and therefore it's just natural for them to go down this inquiry or it feels just such a natural rhythm for them? Because there's a lot of people that are still very, you know, without judgment that may seem quite unaware of what's possible for the human potential and the mind and the relaxing and the calm and that whole way of being. For a lot of people, that's still very foreign. Is it nature or nurture? It's a really good question. And it's, it's something that I'm not completely sure. It could be what's first the chicken or the egg. Did, did those souls choose this pathway because they're very clear and conscious and choosing a pathway that, uh, you know, they're coming through a journey with parents that are meditators and spiritually awake to some degree. Um, of course, we still have our own dilemmas and own challenges, but there, there's a greater degree of um, awareness in the house because we've just been so committed to our practice and our our um, evolution um, or it could be that they've become that way because they've been for 19 years surrounded by um, parents that meditate and go to retreats and, and you know read spiritual texts and eat well and things like that so I'm, I'm not sure entirely I think it's a bit of both I think there's a bit of both going on there um, you know souls choose their journey in accordance to previous experiences I believe this is subjective so maybe something that some people may struggle with to hear but I think um, it's something that I don't really have the full answer on that, but I think what we will see is more and more people in general on the planet, which is well, 100 million people are on the app Calm, you know, using a meditation app. So that didn't happen 20 years ago. It didn't happen 10 years ago. We're seeing a vast, uh, rapid expansion in people's minds in the state of consciousness of the planet, and uh, it's really exciting. So where we are in another 50 to 100 years, it could be quite quite fascinating if we're still here i'll just add that little bit in the end (laughs) (laughs) i love that i love it one thing that i find fascinating is the word practice practicing the art of meditation in the work is a practice what is your definition of that and is it something that we ever master as humans or do you believe it's a continual practice either in meditation life relationships experiences all of that is life a practice? Hmm. I think it's a bit of both. It's like uh, soccer training. You know, you've got a soccer practice and then you play soccer. Um, sadhana in Sanskrit is what we replace the word practice with, which is a, a, a daily routine to make the play of life better. And so uh, I guess if you want to call it my practice would be, you know, I go to the gym three times a week. I do three saunas a week. I do try to do three yoga classes a week. I, uh, you know, meditate twice a day. I journal every day. Um, I guess you could call that practice or you could call that life itself. Um, but what I do know is that those things contribute to me having a better life and better health. And it's, it's a commitment that I make to optimize my experience of life as much as I can um, and be quite diligent about that. But life itself I, I think life is a play. And uh, if we want to play in the soccer game or in the concert hall, uh, we need to practice to be better at that, to master that in a better way. I love that. When you look at your life as a whole and you look back now with the wisdom and the knowledge that you have, knowing no doubt that there's way more to come, 
What do you think has been the biggest turning point for you? What has been the greatest guide? What has been the greatest practice? I know meditation is massive for you, but how and what did you create the space to make that happen, to create the shift for you? Because you are indeed considered a master in this now. I Obviously, having that immense suffering when I went through the breakdown, and uh, what that looked like was just I, I couldn't go to work. I just had extreme anxiety, depression, panic attacks, uh, and uh, I was a bit of a basket case. So that was a, a shift that caused me to look to change what I was doing. And the universe had divinely sent me, a, a, you know, this um, documentary about a guy that was meditating. And so that, for me, was the tool that I found that I really resonated with when I saw this you know, business uh, operator meditating. It was like, that was like the light bulb moment for me. But then the next stage in that process was how do I get meditation into my life? You know, I did a lot of research into different meditation techniques and I really found that this idea of transcending to sit and go beyond the physical, mental and emotional body and to transcend into that unbounded field, um, which was just rich in bliss and joy and love was, was, was going to be an essential part of my day. And so then it was like, how do I make that an essential part of my day? And I did a deep sort of contemplation as I do into what was making up my day. What was I contributing my day to? What was I allocating my time in my day towards? And really, ultimately, I realized that everything that I was allocating my time in my day, that's 24 hours, which is 72 20-minute portions of time, were allocating to trying to find some fulfillment. Every single person on the planet in this very moment is doing exactly the same thing. We're all seeking fulfillment through an experience or an acquisition. And what I found was that I was miserable, even though I was making a ton of money, had a great job, had everything that you possibly want in my life. And so I realized that what I was looking for, uh, the places where I was looking for fulfillment, I wasn't able to find it. And I had to look in another place and that was look within. And that's, I know, a cheesy sort of um, saying that we hear time and time again, but it wasn't until I did inquiry which was I-N, to inquire, to question inwardly through the meditation experience. Did I really, try, did I really find truth and bliss and joy? And, and ultimately, you mentioned the word wisdom or knowledge. Um, I found that that was innate as well. It wasn't something that I picked up in books. But what we generally are conditioned to do from the moment we're born is inquiry. Where's the boob? Where's the milk? Where's the, where's the toys? Where do I get affection? Where do I get love? And so it's been known that a child at the age of five will know what the McDonald's arches are before they know their surname. That's because of inquiry. We, we externally inquire for fulfillment, for curiosity. And it's not until we get to the exhaustion of inquiring externally where we've tried to find in every avenue possible fulfillment that we start to go, well, I've looked everywhere and I can't find it. Or maybe I'll do inquiry and start looking inward. And so for me, that was the big shift to, to realize that the value of allocating that time each day to the silence and stillness of meditation was far superior to any time I was allocating to finding fulfillment externally. And so it was an easy shift for me to do. I really appreciate that because it's almost like you could put that, um, I guess, that model on top of the world of consumerism versus simplicity and there's something that's happening in the world right now where a lot of these freedoms or desires we can't have travel and you can't consume as much or you can't do as much it seems 
And yet what that seems to be pushing people into is a state of self-inquiry. I remember when I saw the words, you know, isolation, self-isolation, I changed that to self-inquiry. Hmm. When I saw social distancing, I changed that to social respect. And when I saw the words, um, you know, how we have to be apart or just the way they're languaging everything at the moment, it just seems to be such an opposite to what is natural or innate in us as humans. I want to ask you a, a personal question around this then. A lot of people that go down into this journey of self-inquiry or meditation, hypnosis, yoga, all of these things, and even if they leave the business world and consumerism and capitalism and all of that, there seems to be this understanding there can't be money or wealth or there, there is this, this interesting thing of money doesn't equal this. How have you created a business that keeps you viable down this pathway, honoring the energy of money and wealth alongside this beautiful world of stillness and self-inquiry? Mm, that's a great question. It's um, definitely uh, a time where, where spirituality meets Western commercial and capitalism. And it's a very new phenomenon. You know, we're thinking only 30, 40 years ago in, in the five to seven, up to 10,000 years of spiritual practices being embraced by humankind. In only the last 30, 40 years, particularly in the last 10 years, have we seen this integrate into the households of the world where people work and have families and kids. It's a very, very new phenomenon. And we're only in the very, very early stages of realizing that they're not two separate things. Not only spirituality and the integration of life, uh, the one thing, but then within that, the idea of money being separate again, it's really just expression, it's play, it's manifestation of formlessness into form. And, um, you know, we've, we've got a lot of work to do myself, particularly in overcoming not just the spiritual coding and conditioning around money, but also my own um, ancestral heritage, you know, Irish Catholic. So I've uh, interestingly got some uh, some coaching session with some, some money coaches because, you know, I've got my own personal genetic blocks and challenges around money, which is less to do with my spirituality, but it's more to do with my genetic ancestry. So a lot of us are carrying deep code around lack and um, money issues and fear around not having enough. So um, it's a very new phenomenon for us to be awake and in the world of making money in commercialism and capitalism and uh, careers and life purpose and all that sort of stuff and have spirituality as well. So trying to bring these two together is a new frontier for us that we're, we're all just kind of trying to work out right now. And so I have a family that I have responsibilities to and I also have a passion and I feel it's most likely a life purpose as much as I sometimes wish it wasn't the case. I could just go and get a job in Woolwich packing shelves, but uh, it seems that I'm destined for this. Um, and so trying to find a way that can sustain um, financial stability and independence is, is not been easy, but it's something that I have to find that pathway because otherwise you can't convert combine those two things. It'd be very difficult to anyway of life purpose and passion um, to, to into the, the world of, you know, financial responsibility. But you also offer a gift that is so valuable. You can't actually put a price. It's very, 
like when you make a commodity, when you make, well, for me, an essential oil, I know mm. the cost it takes for me to get that from a farmer to then have it tested, to then have it bottled, to then have it labelled, to then have it distributed. There is a cost, an, an actual tangible cost in all of those things and then a markup and a wholesale and all of these different things. It almost feels more easy to put a tangible value on something that you can hold. But how do you price the gift of giving someone the ability to inquire into their own mind to give them the gift of understanding the importance of meditation and stillness and to know that there is no tangible um, way to offer that. But you can save, and I, I, I say this with love, not ego, but you have the potential to save someone's life when you offer what you offer. How the heck do you put a price on that? It's such a good question. And, I, you know, I, I coach a lot of conscious leaders in the world, and this is always the conundrum that we face is that, um, that big block we have around valuing our time and our knowledge. And, um, you know, just before I go into that, you know, I had a, someone reach out to me uh, a little while ago uh, and they sent me an Instagram message and they said, I just want you to know that I was very, very close to taking my life. I was in a really dark place, but I went through your Instagram feed post after post and it really got me across the line. And I just wanted to say thank you. And I was so touched by that um, to know that um, this thing that you do two, three, four times a week, put a message out there thinking, hoping that it might touch someone in some way. But here it was, you know, saving a life. And one thing coming back to my coaching clients is I, I try to emphasize to them. And when I emphasize it to them, I'm kind of trying to emphasize it to myself as well. We often coach what we need to hear that um, we're not what, what we're, we're trying to do is what we have to do is put a value on what we're offering because a, a dentist can do it. A lawyer can do it. A, uh, a, a consultant can do it where we're packaging up in bundles of time uh, and experience um, something that provides fulfillment and enhancement of life. And a lawyer can do it. As I said, you know, many people can do it where they're packaging up knowledge they're packaging up their wisdom, their, their information, their, their, their data. And um, this is really ultimately what we're doing as well. It's just, it's just it just has a different sort of, um, uh, I guess people relate to it differently, but that's going to change over time because it's just as valuable as the information that a lawyer will give. It's just different information, that's all. Do you feel in a way as humans we have lost touch with that tribal energy of our elders passing on wisdom there was red tents there was there was beautiful um, rituals where young men were taken out to hunt and gather and all of those things where that wisdom is just naturally passed down and amongst one another and as for want of a better word white people and in this world of consumerism and chasing the dollar and all of these things do you think then this is more of a metaphor to us coming back to ourselves and back to that tribal belonging and that whilst we may not be family, you as a coach becomes that mentor, that, that beautiful inspirational leader with experience and wisdom. Is it that we are in this world then, this, this work that creates that tribal connection again, do you think, or am I completely off target here? <laughs> Look, I think there's definitely a lot of merit about the beautiful richness of what tribal culture was, uh, particularly in, um, you know, Indigenous Australians, you know, the traditional landowners, you know, they're, they're 
beautiful culture and richness of passing on wisdom the way it was done. Um, but we have to also acknowledge that we're in a very different world now and that world is that we don't have, almost we don't have, not yet, but we're almost getting to that point where we don't have individual tribes, we have one tribe. And so what we have here now is, um, you know, my dad did a great job of raising me, but there, there was a lot of things he didn't share because he didn't know or maybe didn't know how to share um, certain things. And so I had to then outsource that from other people. So I find my coaches and my people that I can um, teach me certain things. And so I think what we're starting to see in the world is this niching down in, in knowledge acquisition where we, we can go to sources, particularly online now, you know, I, I did an Amazon book publishing course. I did a speaker training course recently. I did a crypto course recently. So we're going to see this niching down into a, um, a self-paced learning type style in a global tribe and seeking out the particular tribal elders or, or the, the conscious leaders that have got that knowledge. And it could be anything from like how to make an essential oil or how to apply essential oils. You know, the, what we're going to start seeing, and we're already seeing that now, is this wonderful niching down into specific modalities of training that we can find within our global tribe because the tribal elders are the people that are providing the knowledge and the wisdom for those that need it. I love that. And I think what's so profound about that is that we are then able to each be guided by our own internal compass right. as to what feels right. Yeah, I really appreciate that. Yeah, just, so- just on that, you know, just, just, just to rely on our own specific tribe or our family elder or our community elder is going to really, um, it's going to diminish our capacity and to get a limit it. limited. That's what I was mm-hmm. looking for. Limit our capacity to get the depth and the breadth of what sort of knowledge we're looking for, because it's going to be different for every person. Some people might want to learn how to do options trading. Someone might want to learn how to do essential oils. So now we've got this great capacity to expand beyond our limited framework of our existing tribal culture and go into a global tribal culture to find that. I really, I think that's amazing, beautiful way to look at it and it'll also bring us back into one. There's that beautiful quote, I am a drop in the ocean, but the ocean, I am, you know, what is it? I'm a drop in the ocean, but I, the ocean is whole. So we are whole and we are part of it. We cannot be part of something without it being part of us. Yeah. It's like that watermelon analogy. The pip is part of the whole, but the whole is actually the pip. And it's like, <laughs> wow, this is, this is where we're going really in this day and age, especially with our technology where everything is so instant. Do you think then, and we're going to go down into this path, with this whole pandemic, this whole thing of COVID, do you think then the social media, the the ability to have knowledge so quickly has changed what has made this look bigger than what it is or have we always had pandemics and we've just evolved naturally through them because we haven't had the instant um, ability to see what's going on around the world? What do you think is happening here then around this COVID pandemic? Is it any different to any other? Hmm. That's a big rabbit hole we could go down, isn't it? <laughs> um, I think there's been a concentration of media to heighten a particular situation that's happening on the planet. Um, and for whatever reason that's happening is left for everyone else to discern and work out themselves. But um, what we've seen, it's funny, I was... Um, my mum and dad was, was at their house a while ago when they were at home. They're, they're now in an aged care facility. But um, it was 
sort of sometime maybe 12 months ago uh, or less that I was at their house. And my mum and dad, you know, very traditional, they like to watch the Channel 9 News at 6 o'clock, then the 6.30 current affairs report, then the 7 o'clock news on ABC, and then the 7.30 report um, on ABC. So we've got 6, 6 6.37 and 7.30, four different news channels coming through. And interestingly, um, it was night after night after night on those four media channels that they had the repetition of the same story, you know, with a big COVID symbol, the the spike protein in the background, uh, big red and blue blazoned messaging across the background of the newsreader, as you everyone would be aware, they're using that across the world now because it's very sensational. It's very bold and bright. And this repetition of the fear and the tragedy and the chaos and the trauma um, and this constant, oh, this is terrible, oh, this is terrible, oh, this is terrible, as we saw news story after news story after news story. I mean, it was, it was quite, because I don't watch those shows, and it was quite fascinating for me to have an insight into what the masses were basically absorbing on a nightly basis. And so, yeah, look, I think we've seen a concentration of that um, information flow for a long, long period of time, you know, a good two years where every night it's just fading now. We're coming into the tail end of it where it's fading off. We're seeing that it's not capturing the main headlines and it's not capturing the the top news stories as much anymore. But um, we definitely did see for two years a deep, deep concentration of information flow around um, this virus that was, um, you know, getting into people's bodies. So what that does is that it creates uh, what, what some call a mass formation where we just drill all of our attention. So if every day someone spoke to you about, I don't know, something that could be like cancer or something like that, you know, something that was just a, a fear-based type of conversation where every day you are faced with reading books and hearing information and talking to someone about it, eventually what will happen is that it's going to affect your psychology. Look, we've always got that happening in our world anyway. Uh, we have an ongoing conditioning that's happening um, based upon marketing and media and who's got the most money. Uh, you know, we know that Coca-Cola is a compelling drink and we only know that because they spend $300 million a year telling everyone that it's a compelling drink. And so that seeps into the mainstream collective very easily because of that um, constant piece of information. And so we just see that happening around us all the time. It's just that what we want to do is start becoming a little bit more discerning about what we're taking on because it's going to be happening anyway. Well, in a way, we're as my job as a hypnotist, part of what I've learned is I'm not hypnotizing anyone. I'm actually unhypnotizing. Unhypnotizing, yeah, that's right, yeah, because <laughs> they're already hypnotized. We are, and yeah, repetition right. and intensity yeah. is what actually changes neural pathways in the brain and the amount of fear that's out there. And I'd love to know then your thoughts if. I don't know if you believe what is the opposite of love. I've always looked at it as fear because all those behaviours and self-sabotage and all of those things can come off the derivative of fear as opposed to hate. And I'd be really curious then to see with you, do you believe, and, I, and I'm not saying this is some airy-fairy thing, but love, the, 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 the vibrational frequency of love, the care, the kindness, us as humans going through this, this challenge at the moment and realizing we're all at different phases, as you just mentioned, of learning that maybe this is the awakening. And if that's the case, those of us who are trying to go down this path of having more love, more care, more kindness, do you believe that love can cure all, that love and self-care is part of the healing? Mm. There's definitely um, 
the thing that's missing is the realization of the essence of being, which is is love. Um, we, we use that four-letter word in an English term to try and capture what already exists, to try and describe what already exists. And this is something that if we look at the eternality of the universe and the short glimpse of time that humans occupy this little dust ball and have the capacity to communicate using words and we capture a four-letter word to try and describe something that is innate and inherent within the universe at all times, um, yes, there's a disconnect from what is inherently our essential nature, which is love. Um, but there's, there's this complexity within the forms, and this is the nature of the universe, is that within the simplicity of the universe and the unbounded and unformless is the, uh, and, the, and the formless, sorry, is the, the, the complexity of meteorites and amoebas and cultures and religions and media and sickness and disease and all sorts of things. So trying to find that simplicity within the complexity and navigate through that, it, it, this is the play that we're in. This is the, the fascinating dynamic that we've chosen to subscribe to and be in. And so love is something that we need to realize is the very essence of our being. But within that complexity is, um, yeah, is going to be all sorts of a myriad of sensations and emotions that arise when um, we come up with different viewpoints or different like, uh, you know, for instance, if someone's getting attacked because someone's not in love, do we just kumbaya it and say, I love you as the machete comes down on your shoulder? You know, so there's times for, uh, there's times for response that might not just be namaste and I love you. So trying to find within that simplicity and complexity, you know, some, some way of living in the world. I don't know if I've answered that very clearly, but um, definitely there's, there's a disconnect from what's inherently us, but there's also complexity in how we interact in the world when we're in that state of enlightenment. The Shaolin monks are very awake and conscious, but they know how to kill someone at the same time, which is a, a strange idea, isn't it? Yes, but I also think that as humans, maybe we are rain, running away from owning anger or hurt or pain or suffering and it's almost like as humans we you even said at the beginning you were in a world that was chasing something but probably running away from the pain or fear of being poor or fear of not being a part of something yet when we can embrace a motivation towards something that has a greater meaning greater purpose I feel for myself personally, I can only speak for myself, that I feel more on purpose when I think of it going towards something greater than. Hmm. And so do you think there's a difference between love and self-love? And if so, what is your definition of self-love? Yeah, there's a lot of new age language around love yourself and, and self-love. Uh, I try to simplify that. And I did a post recently. It's like, you know, trying to love yourself is like the the, the wave looking for the ocean and it's not that we need to find love, it's we need to realize that we are love. And self-love is really just the awakening to the self, which is a capital S, not small s. So small s in, in Vedic philosophy is the ego, but capital S is the unbounded nature of your divine quality, which is ultimately love. So the realization, when we say realization um, or self-realization is the realization of self, which is love. So, um, love is self and self is love so self-love is the is the same thing which is being the embodiment of love 
covered in goosebumps. That's the most beautiful, beautiful description. Talk to us a little bit about you now, about your amazing books. You've written six, I think, from memory. Uh-huh. I'd love to hear about the portal, the the document or the, the film. Please can you share with us in a very beautiful, I know you're humble, but tell us about everything because people listening to this are going to want to know more and how they can get more of you. Yeah, I, I when I came out of finance, um, I wanted to share my message with the world and it just was bursting out of me. And so I just couldn't almost, I, I think I went into too many different channels to get that message out to the world. You know, I built an app and wrote six books and coached with uh, some of the top companies in the world and ran retreats in exotic locations and created an online program and, um, you know, taught workshops. And I just found that there were so many ways I wanted to get my message out to the world. And I think I had that very early stage entrepreneur problem of, um, you know, diversifying my attention way too many d- different platforms so teach my coaching clients is like let's just not get too um lured in by the glossy shiny things that can pull our attention and create too many things and you're nodding your head i know you're relating to that as well um so i definitely got a little bit carried away um i think that's definitely the case but um yeah the film was a big journey and that kind of was something that in amongst all of that was being played out the whole time and still is playing out today it's been a long nine-year journey creating that and getting that out to the world and it's um probably one of the hardest things i've ever done it's challenged me on so many different levels and still is today um and uh yeah it's it's one of those things that i got very excited by this medium of getting a message out to the world using film particularly after the secret managed to penetrate the households of the world with a very esoteric subject matter you know the law of attraction was so phenomenal that they could manage to get that into the households of the world so well and I wanted to do that with meditation. So that was what was the incentive with the, the portal film and book. Um, and so that's kind of what drove that. But it's it's been quite a journey that I must, I must say that. And how can we watch that beautiful film? How do we get a hold of your books in that film? Yeah, at the moment, they can go to the website, entertheportal.com, and it, that's the where they can stream it or download it. The film will be released eventually on a number of different platforms. We're talking to quite a few different distribution platforms. So it will come out on multiple platforms at some point very soon. At the moment, though, the only place to watch it is on our website, Enter the Portal. Nine years is a long time (laughs) to stay committed and focused on something. What kept you connected to the end purpose? I think two things. Um, One is obviously my intention and passion or what I started out to do. I'm very stubborn, I think, in some ways. And so um, I don't like to just finish. Like if, even if I don't like a book, I find it really hard to not finish it. And it's, I have to really, it takes me a lot to not finish something. And so it was about finishing the project um, and fully fulfilling that, that commitment I made to myself and to the world to, to bring that out. Um, there were many times where it was very close to not making that across the line. But secondly, to, to honour and respect our investors that had put trust and their faith in me. Um, and that was a really big motivation was that these people had, um, you know, invested in that vision and that idea and so really supporting that and fulfilling that obligation for them. If there was one thread or message through that film maybe even through your work if it's been nine years in the making. What would you say that thread, that line, that subtitle, what, what is that? That 
the ability to free ourselves of suffering comes through the this portal into stillness, into the state of realization, the awareness of being. And in Sanskrit, it's called Turiya. And I, one of the big awakenings that I had when I was studying Vedic philosophy and this meditation technique was that most of the world's suffering comes from the ignorance of this essential state that we have within us beyond the thinking mind and the emotional body, this state of conscious awareness. In Sanskrit, it's called Sakshi Kutashta, which is the silent witness. And it's, it's, our, it's where freedom exists, true freedom, and it's where true fulfillment exists. And it's within us all. And the meditation that I teach and do is just one of the portals, the, the gateways to what already is inherently within us. And what happens when we access that is we, we access wisdom, we access love, we access creativity, we access adaptability, all the things that make life become a lot more smooth, a lot more successful, a lot more dynamic. And I could just see that so much of the suffering and my suffering was because I, I hadn't been aware of that. I hadn't known how to access that. I hadn't been able to know how to get to that point. And so I knew one technique that could help get there. There's many out there, plant medicines and all sorts of things. But um, this was the one that I was familiar with and the one that I thought was a great tool. And, and so I wanted to inspire people to, to start to explore that. One of my favourite quotes of Maharishi, uh, all that we are is the result of what we have thought. The mind is everything. What we think, we become. Are you of the same ilk? that the mind then, the monkey chatter, the monkey brain, that constant thought, is that the whole intention of the meditation and the teachings that you offer is to allow that thought to become, it's not that we stop the monkey chatter necessarily or we stop negativity or owning our emotions, but it's actually creating a positive intent with our thought and becoming aware of when those thoughts maybe aren't serving us. Is that something you believe is the same? Yeah, absolutely. I, we ran a retreat yesterday um, to start the year with some of our students and one of the sessions in that retreat was uh, a visualisation and intention setting session and we talked about how the mind is the architect of our life and we can't build a building unless we have the design and so we start with the initial, there's a field of formlessness where all possibility exists, all creative potential exists in this field of intelligence but it's a formlessness and it's, it's got no structure to it. But then the thought is the first initial extraction point into the most basic and most subtle form before it becomes a manifested form. And so all forms that are, are manifest, my glasses, my phone, my mouse, my computer, you know, the oils behind you, the picture behind you, all of it's manifest, but started with the, the, the initial most subtle manifestation out of the field of the unmanifest, and that's as a thought. And then we go into a sequential process of making that become the, the, the actual manifested reality. But, yeah, we've got to get more intentional about our thoughts because we're having them all the time anyway. But can we be more intentional about the thoughts? And then we get more intentional about our life, and then we start to create life rather than be reactive to life. As someone who has practiced the art of self-care and mindset and thought for many, many years, you mentioned it a, 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 quite a few minutes ago, but I'd love you to repeat it. 
what would you say are some of the daily rituals we could embrace to honor this practice of life and creating more fun and creativity in our world? I know you mentioned journaling and the art of meditation. Would, would, could you just give us a run through again of maybe some of your self-care daily rituals so that we could embrace them if we so choose? Yeah, to me, it's got to be done on many levels. You know, uh, we have a physical body, mental body, spiritual body, emotional body. So really making sure that we're, we're looking at those layers and how we're addressing wellness on all of those levels. So, um, you know, reading positive books that are going to elevate, uplift and inspire you. Uh, so I do a, a daily, I will read something that someone else's content that can inspire my mind. Um, I'm constantly doing programs that are teaching me to improve myself in in some way i'm about to in a few weeks time start a typing course because i still type with two fingers and this is like okay 2022 i'm going to learn to type properly um so learning all the time you know cryptos or um how to publish a book on amazon you know so improving the art of being in the world um then there's spiritual practice so that's meditation and yoga and breath work that help me connect deeper to spirit and source um you know obviously looking after my physical well-being is a big part of uh my existence i'm 54 and i'm fitter and stronger than i've ever been i back my immune system because i've given my immune system you know the utmost attention my digestive system my sexual function system and making sure that my body is in such an optimal state and it's not complex and it's not hard it just needs a little bit of time and a little bit of know-how how to do that so you know saunas and gym and yoga and drinking lots of water and <clears throat> taking lots of vitamins and minerals and supplements using essential oils you know all these things we have available to us to enhance our life so yeah it's quite it sounds a lot but it's just like you said before it's kind of just life it's just what i do and I'm imagining you have learnt what serves your body through the, I call it the art of biohacking. Mm. And as we age and, and we grow into our wisdom more, our body's needs change and adapt. And what we need now in our 50s, maybe a little bit more or less than what we did in our, te- our 20s and teens. So as we come to the close of this amazing conversation, which I am so humbled and privileged to have you on this show, I would love to ask you then if there was a message. I mean, the person that listens to the self-love podcast is a certain type. There, there is so much information. There are thousands and thousands of podcasts out there now. And I know you've been a guest on many different shows. But for this beautiful listener right here, right now, from your heart to theirs, what would be your message to someone who would find interest in the self-love podcast? That's wherever you are. And whatever state you're in, it's changeable. And it's changeable for the better. And there's tools and guidance and systems that are here to help you and support you. And that no matter what our experience is, I have learned to keep asking, how is this helping me? How is this supporting me? How is this part of my evolution as painful as this is? And be really open to listening into the message that you'll get. And it will come from your own intuition or come from some other divine intervention of someone saying something or telling you to listen to a podcast or a book falling into your lap at a bookstore. And um, the universe is always there to support and guide you and, and elevate you and assist you. And you came here in the manifestation of the divine to experience joy and delight and love. And we call it Leela, the dance. 
So um, try to find the lightness in, in living. And that respect, is that also embracing the darkness, the struggle, the challenges? Is that also listening into why they're there to teach us? Is that what you're saying? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it doesn't matter who we are or where we're at in our spiritual journey. These dark nights, I only went through one recently, you know, these dark nights can be really brutal and challenging and um, they're all part of a process of letting go and relinquishing control and attachment and it's an ongoing process that we'll go through many times along the way and um, you find support when you're going through those times. You know, they, they can be quite challenging and difficult but, um, yeah, know that it's uh, always on the other side of that. It's, they always say it's darkest before dawn. There's a, there's a next level of being more awake, more aware, more loving, more gentle, less attached, less, um, I guess, conditioned by the past and the program. I think what you're saying too, in my humble opinion and listening to today, is is by embracing that you're also honouring your own self-development and your own personal journey towards whatever that enlightenment or that beautiful space is. And I think then if those of us that are listening to you right now would love to learn more from you about how to do this, what programs would you offer or what do you have at the moment that we could access that would give us a more direct link to you and your work? Yeah, what I'll do, Kim, I'll give you a link where they can get my free 12-step guide to overcoming anxiety and panic. That would be one thing that people can have for free. It's an an e-book that I wrote which is a very practical process to reduce suffering, reduce stress, reduce overwhelm, reduce anxiety and panic. Um, so I'll give you that link and they can um, just get that book for free. And there's uh, my 21-day meditation program, which is a, um, a very powerful and world's first merging of modern technology with ancient techniques that allow people to get access to these deep meditative programs. Um, these deep meditative techniques and start to access that transcendent experience of Victoria. So that that'd be a great starting point, I think. Ah, amazing. I mean, I learned I learned TM um, when I was pregnant with my first child, and it was probably one of the most profound timings for me to do that whilst I was growing a baby inside of me. I learned this ancient, beautiful um, technique, and it's it's held me um, mm. for the past twenty four years I have been so grateful for that work but I have to be honest with you Tom there's been moments when life's got so busy or I felt so broken at some stage in my life or I've really just I've let it slip or I haven't made it a priority and I've noticed that that's the times when I've actually needed it the most and I think one of the things that you've taught many of us over time is actually do the work when you're in a good place don't wait to become broken in order to learn this or if if you are broken or at that point it's a great time to open yourself up but what a gift to learn this if you are in a great space so that you have access to these tools when you are maybe in a heap or at rock bottom or whatever. Do you think that therefore one of the greatest things you've gifted yourself is the art of continual learning, whether you're high or low or whatever you're going through, or have you found yourself more pulled to learning when you're broken or is it better when you're feeling whole and full? Yeah, definitely when we're in our dark, for me anyway, when we're in our darkest times, we're going through some some difficult period, um, there's a, a deeper level of inquiry. And, you know, I go back to my old books and start reading more pages and listening to the old the teachers of the past. And, um, you know, it's like a, 
um, get back into the seat of doing more inquiry. So uh, for me, that's my my definitely my process. But what I find with uh, some students is that when their life gets kind of breezy and cool, they drop their practice. And like you said, you know, it's just oh, things are working out now, so I'll just let everything slip and slide. And then, of course, they'll go through um, more experience of stress or overwhelm or tragic trauma. And then so then they'll go be reminded to go back to their practice. So um, I have a fairly consistent um process these days regardless of what i'm going through but i do notice that um in those more challenging times there's a bit more of an inclination to go a little bit further in <laughs> uh, i dare say sometimes reading your own work would be inspirational as well <laughs> <laughs> yeah i need to look, i think as a, as a teacher we're always a student yeah and i think sometimes i've opened up a page of a book i've written or an article i've written i've gone wow that that's really good. <laughs> yeah. take, take my own advice. Like you That's said, right. sometimes we coach or teach what we need to learn the most. Um, if there was a way to be, a beautiful way to finish this conversation today, is there a favourite quote that you have that you would love to share? I know you've got heaps and you've shared lots throughout this conversation, but is there something you'd love to leave us on? Look, you know, the one of the things that always resonates with me, and it's um, such a beautiful phrase in Sanskrit, which is yoga star kuru kamani. What that means is established in being, perform action. And so we tend to go into action to find fulfillment. But what this is saying is that find fulfillment first within the state of being and then perform action from fulfillment. And it's a complete flip on what motivates us into action. So rather than going into action to get fulfilled, we go into action to express fulfillment. And uh, it's a very different way of living. And that's something that I always um, keep coming back to. Tom Cronin, it is an absolute honour and delight to have you on the Self Love Podcast. Thank you for your time. I want to congratulate you with your Amazon um, deal at the moment. Could you just share that with us a little bit? I want to celebrate you. Oh, thank you. Yeah, um, I was doing some work with Amazon last year. We were teaching some of their team how to meditate and uh, they had quite uh, profound uh, results from that. And so they want me to continue on through 2022 on a monthly basis, you know, t- teaching some of their staff um, how to integrate more mindfulness and meditation into their world. So it's a real blessing to be working with one of the world's top companies and um, uh, a little small plug, hopefully there'll be many more. <laughs> yeah, I agree, which is why I wanted to celebrate it. And just on that note, I do have one more question. Are you good at celebrating these wins or every book you've written or film that you've created or a deal like this? Are you no, I'm terrible. Said, yeah, I was going to. I'm like, terrible. I'm hopeless. I remember when we finished the film and my film crew were like, you must be so excited. I'm like, no, we've got to sell it now. I haven't even like, you know, not even close to finishing it. And they just like, you've got to take some time off and just celebrate it. But I find it really hard to, uh, I, it's something I definitely need to work out a little bit more, I think. Well, I think it's something that's really important because yeah. it's great to keep putting up these 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 things and having goals and achieving them, but then by not celebrating the win of achieving that is maybe not being so present to the acknowledgement of that and the people around you. So I'm going to say high five to you. Yeah, thank I'm you. I'm going to make sure that you see how amazing you are and I'm sure everyone listening to this would definitely be giving you a hug and a high five because nine years of commitment is no small feat and I want to acknowledge you for that for our benefit. Thank mm. you for taking the time, for being so patient and also for continuing to share the work, the love and the care that you have for humanity especially in a time right now where 
I believe no matter what thoughts, feelings, emotions are going on out there, it is a calling and it is a calling for us all to awaken. And it is through the work that you're offering that we have an ability to go even deeper and see it in a more safe, calm space. So from my heart to yours, congratulations. And thank Mm, you so much for being the amazing human that you are. That's really beautiful. Thank you. As a good reminder. So I appreciate the the guidance that I just received. I'll I'll be definitely taking that on. Love you dearly. Love you too. Thanks for listening to the Self Love Podcast. Be sure to write a review and share the love with your friends and family. And head over and visit Kim and her team at 28.com. That's the word 20 and the number 8.com. Take good care. This has been a production of thewellnesscouch.com. Check us out on Facebook and join in the conversation on facebook.com forward slash thewellnesscouch. Subscribe to each show on iTunes and check us out on Twitter. The Wellness Couch, streaming wellness into your lives. Whilst The Wellness Couch presenter endeavor to provide accurate and helpful information to their listeners, these podcasts cannot take into account individual circumstances and are not intended to be a substitute for health and medical advice from a qualified health professional. You should always seek the advice of a qualified health professional before acting on any of the information provided by any of The Wellness Couch podcasts.